who hid the two spies? No. Is she known as the one in the genealogy of Jesus Christ? No. She is known as Rahab, the one who served in Saddam Hussein's Republican Guard. <laughs> I am enjoying every moment of my Abilene visit. This is not my first visit to Texas. In fact, I went to school in Texas. And uh, I have a special place in my heart for this state that is so big, you are always likely to hit it in one of your travels. The classes that I've been giving and the, well, that I'm giving now are parts of my series called Islam in Christ's Eyes, compiled in a study book published by my school, Sunset International Bible Institute. Uh, of which I'm a proud adjunct assistant dean for the Arabic studies. My work is to tell Muslims about Christ and to tell Christians about Islam. In the sermon hour, I will share my convergence story. Uh, in uh, this hour, I will be talking about the Quran and the Bible, comparing two radically different scriptures that I am familiar with, both of them. I studied the Quran in Baghdad, thanks to Saddam Hussein. More about that in an hour. And I studied the Bible in Texas, which means I'm familiar with both scriptures right from their source. For those of you who will not make it to the sermon, you need to make it to the sermon. And if you cannot hear my story, it goes a little something like this. It was yonder in Baghdad where I was born. To Muslim parents suffering world war torn. Did not know Jesus, but Saddam Hussein. Wherefore its poor people have gone insane. I grew up hopeless, my heart not to fill, and hearing moths preaching tidings so ill. I thought, Lord, whether thou art there or not, I henceforth untie our inherited knot. I searched for idols, books and thoughts and plays, and philosophies in well-written essays. But through these idols, God's word subtly spoke, and my mind it brought to Christ's lighter yoke. Then came I hither, by his endless grace, to preach his tidings all over this place. Younger people, just add a backbeat to it, and it will be a cool song. <laughs> I will be sharing my notes on the scriptures of the Quran and the Bible. But that does not necessarily uh, benefit us. This is not necessarily useful if you want to share the gospel with your Muslim neighbor. Because people usually do not reason their way out of a certain faith. And they do not study their way into another faith. You know so many people that have switched churches, for example. Stopped going to the Baptist church, started going to the Lutheran church, for example. Or from the Catholic to uh, the Methodist Church. And if you put a list right next to every one of them that explains why they changed their faith or their religion, they may say something about, well, because they teach the truth. Yeah, okay, what's the real reason why you started to, why you started to go to that church? Most of them would say, because we have found a community where we can be loved and accepted. And that's what people are looking for. They are not interested in a Bible study. They cannot care for the truth any more than they care for love, to be loved. They want to see the goodness of Christ before you can plan on showing them the truth of his gospel. 
we will be talking about the truth of his gospel. In this class, we will be talking about how, and more importantly, why should you share the gospel with your non-Christian neighbor, including Muslim neighbor, in the class that is after the sermon, Lord willing, that is called, For We Do Not Wrestle. Well, the Quran and the Bible, as you know, are not the only two scriptures that this world is offering. I mean, look at this list. Uh, Mormons have their scripture, the Buddhists have their scripture, the, the, the Yazidis, those people in northern Iraq, uh, were all over the news in 2014, they have Kitab al-Jilwa, and every one of these scriptures claims to know the way and the truth. Every scripture claims to have been inspired from somewhere beyond there, from the guy upstairs, whatever his name is. It is really important that you know why are you following the Bible. Now, I may be the only person in this building this morning that have not come from a community that was shaped by the Bible like you are. I was born and raised in a community that was shaped by a totally different scripture. I used to wake up at 4 o'clock in the morning to the sound of the Quran recited from the neighborhood's mosque. I would have breakfast, turn on the TV, and the, the TV would play the Quran. I would take the bus to work. The bus driver would play a Quran cassette in his cassette player. I would start working. The woman in the next cubicle would be playing the Quran in her computer. The Quran is the book that is quoted in every wedding, every funeral, every elder's meeting. It is ed quoted by the most educated of the most educated. And people there have every right to say, well, this is the only scripture that we know. This is the way to God. Whether we like it or not, this is the only scripture that is, or uh, more accurately, the, the uh, last or the seal of the messages uh, of God. And you either identify yourself with the Quran or against the Quran. You can either follow the Quran if you wanted to be a believer or not follow the Quran if you wanted to follow your own way. But you cannot say that the Quran is not from God. Exactly like what you would be doing here in this part of the world. Uh, West Texas. You need to have a more accurate, uh, more confident answer to the question. This is just a book. Ink, paper, uh, bonded leather. And you have not seen it coming down from heaven. Neither did Muslims see the Quran coming down from heaven. And yet you have invested your lives and your eternities trusting and believing the things that you have not seen that this book is telling you about. You have not seen Jesus Christ. I don't care what you say. You have not heard the voice of God. You have not seen heaven and hell. And yet you are investing everything that you have and everything that you are trusting that what this book is telling you is true. Why? One other reason why I have compiled this class is you may have a Muslim friend. I seriously hope so. And people ask me, how can I start a religious conversation with my Muslim friend? And I tell them, you don't. They will. Because Muslims are so devout in following their faith, they want to win you over to their faith. You can talk about the divinity of Christ. Muslims do not believe that Jesus is the Son of God. They believe that he's the Christ. We talked about that yesterday. Well, we believe that he is the Christ and the Son of God. Uh, Muslims believe in God as a unit, not a unity. 
We believe in God as a trinity, and please do not tell me that you understand how the trinity works. I don't, and I know neither do you. <laughs> how can God be one person, but he's three at the same time? I have no idea. Do not try to talk to your Muslim friend, telling him or her that it makes more sense for God to be a trinity, that a unit. That is not a winning argument. Well, if you narrow down all these arguments, you can very com confidently say, I think God is a trinity, because that's what the Bible tells me. Because that is the exact same thing with Muslims. They do not believe in God as a unit because it makes sense, but because the Quran tells them that. Of course, that narrows down the conversations to, should I follow the Quran, or should I follow the Bible? Or should I follow any of these couple dozen scriptures that this world is offering us? Well, thank God, most of these scriptures did not meet an international fame. They were not successful. They were probably not fortunate to make the success that the Quran and the Bible uh, have made, uh, or they did not make sense. And that's why most of them are local. It is uh, uh, fair to say that uh, two billion people believe or have a form of belief in the Bible, and one and a half billion people have a form of belief in the Quran. So half of this world is following either of these two scriptures, the Quran or the Bible. I will be sparing studying all these scriptures this morning, and we will narrow down the conversation to should we trust the Quran or should we trust the Bible? And trust me, there are so many good reasons for Muslims to trust the Quran. And these good reasons are, that's the only book that I know. That's the book my, that my parents taught me to believe in. My grandparents, my whole community. Well, the answer to this question depends on the answer uh, to a more basic uh, question, and that is, what is a scripture? What determines what a scripture is? In 1996, after Iraq had got rid of all its weapons of mass destruction, we signed the oil for food agreement with the United Nations. My family used to live on $1 a month. And suddenly, we started to have money, enough money for me to buy books. I like reading. I had just finished my final uh, test in my high school in 1997. I was an atheist back then, or at least that's what I thought. And I just left the school building with a man who set a stand. And he was selling used copies of books. For the first time, I had enough money to buy a used book. One of these books was the New Testament. Now, it said the Holy Bible, in Arabic, of course, and underneath it, the New Testament. So I knew that, well, this is kind of one of the scriptures that Christians follow and believe in. Let me take a look at it. You know, I was born and raised to believe that the Quran is the word of God. It is written in the most beautiful form of Arabic. Uh, uh, always recited in a musical way, written in beautiful Arabic uh, calligraphy. It has bold statements from, supposedly, from God in the first person. So I picked the Bible, and it was printed, not written in beautiful calligra calligraphy. It did not sound like... It was written in the same kind of Arabic as the Quran. It was translated. It sounded more like a newspaper than a scripture. And I was like, and Christians believe, followed that. And the thing that I saw was the letter of St. Paul to the church in Galatia.
And I was thinking, who is that St. Paul? Is he the Pope? And why in the world would a letter written by a specific man to a certain group of recipients be considered a scripture? I thought a scripture is what God tells you. Boy, I have come a long way. What is a scripture? By definition, a scripture, by the way, okay. I do not want to give you the spoiler alert yet. There are three definitions to the word scripture. You know, I'm a preacher, I think, in groups of threes. I have three points to every question. There are actually three definitions to the word scripture. First, a scripture is anything that you write on a piece of paper, anything that you scribble down. Any script is a scripture. The second definition is the more technical definition. A scripture is any book that is followed by a specific group of people organized in a specific religion that tells them about their faith the elements of their faith, how to live, uh, the life that that faith demands, and what are they promised, uh, whether a reward or, or a punishment for obedience or disobedience. And because of that, well, we know that the Quran is the scripture of Muslims. The Bible is the scripture of Christians. The Book of Mormon is the scripture of, well, the Mormons. We will be studying this morning the third definition of the uh, word scripture. A scripture is anything that is written by an inspired person, somebody who actually communicated with God. By definition, a scripture claims to be from God. You may tell your Muslim neighbor, well, the Bible is from God. How do you know? Because the Bible says it is from God. Okay. That's a good start. Actually, the Bible does claim to be from God. 2 Timothy 3.16, all scripture is given by inspiration of God. The Quran also claims to be from God. In fact, the same God that revealed, that's what the Quran says, that it has been inspired by the God that had revealed the Bible earlier, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And it says in chapter 10, verse 37 of the Quran, that it is not, uh, okay, uh, that the Quran is not such as could have been made up by someone without having been revealed by God. Okay, both the Quran and the Bible have the same argument in their favor. They both claim to be from God. Both the Quran and the Bible need to stay true to the local and contemporary context. And that's why they survived to us. For example, when the Quran claims that something that happened in its time at the place where it was written, you can rest assured that this is accurate, this is true. So when the Quran says that there was a man by the name Muhammad who was born in a city in Arabia called Mecca, lived a certain life, migrated to another Arabian city called Medina, fought certain wars, you can rest assured that all of this is accurate because if that was not accurate, somebody would have come up and said, wait a minute, I was in Arabia, that did not happen. There was no man by the name Muhammad. Likewise, when the New Testament writer claims that there was a man that lived in the Holy Land by the name Jesus, born in Bethlehem, a native of Nazareth, lived a certain life, taught certain things, had certain followers, was condemned to death a certain way because of a certain charge. You can trust that this is accurate, and that's why we have the Quran and the Bible today.
This is not talking about the spiritual part or the things that happened outside the history and the geography of the time and the place of the writing of these scriptures. Number three, both the Quran and the Bible suggest the possibility of the existence of false scriptures. So do not be surprised to learn that somebody took the time to take a pen and a piece of paper and write a whole thing and, and, and say, this is from God. The Bible tells us that that happened at the time when the Bible was being written. Tons of people were writing letters claiming that they were from the apostles, inspired scriptures. We know them in the church history as apocryphal scriptures. Paul, for example, says in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 1 and 2, We ask you not to be soon shaken in mind or troubled, either by spirit or by word or by letter, as is from us. Somebody actually took the liberty to write a letter and claim that it was from Paul. We may still have the, that, that letter somewhere. The Quran also makes the same claim and places severe judgments and punishments on anyone who claims to have been inspired by God, but he was not. The Quran says that in chapter 6, verse 93. Who is more unjust than the one who fabricates a lie against God? Wow. Or says, Revelation has been sent to me, whereas no revelation has been sent to him. And the one who says, I would produce the like of what God has revealed. Muhammad has just placed an eternal condemnation on him if he was not inspired by God. Three arguments equally in favor of the two scriptures that are the most common in the world. The Bible defines and offers the proof of its inspiration. The Bible says, it's okay, you can uh, doubt my source. I want you to ask where I'm from, and I want you to have an answer to the question, why should I trust what the Bible claims when, he, when it says that it's from God? The Bible defines and offers the proof of its inspiration. The first proof is, the fulfilled prophecies. The Bible connects the ability to foretell the future with the inspiration from God. No one ever knows what gonna what's going to happen tomorrow. No one. And oh, how many political analysts that we watch on the news and different channels that are trying to tell us where this country will be five years from now. How this policy or how this bill passed would affect us. What's going to happen tomorrow in Washington, in North Korea, in the Middle East, if the American army... No one ever knows the future except those who wrote the Bible. Yesterday, we were talking about God's promise to the children of Israel that he would send them a prophet. He said that in the book of Deuteronomy, chapter 18. I will send you a prophet like Moses, the Bible says. Right after that passage, Deuteronomy 18, verses 15 through 18, the children of Israel ask a very good question. What if somebody comes claiming to be a prophet when he's not a prophet? Good question. Now, do you know what a prophet is? The basic definition of the word prophet. A prophet is somebody who 
prophesies, right? Somebody who can foretell the future. They ask in verse 21, and if you, well, this is God talking. If you say in your heart, how shall we know the word which the Lord has not spoken? Verse 22, duh. When a prophet speaks in the name of the Lord, if the thing does not happen or come to pass, that is the thing which the Lord has not spoken. The prophet has spoken it presumptuously. He shall not be afraid of him. A prophet, by definition, must know the future. Does the Bible have any prophecies? It's filled with them. Prophecies about the rise and fall of nations, talking about people, mentioning them by name, centuries before they are born. The most common of which, of course, to us is the messianic prophecies, the specific things uh, 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 foretold earlier, centuries earlier, about the time and the place of the birth of Jesus Christ. Not only does the Quran not have any prophecy written in it, the Quran act, Muhammad in the Quran claims to not know the future. He says that in chapter 7, verse 188. Muhammad says, if I had the knowledge of the unseen, I would have accumulated a lot of good things. Basically, he just said, if I could foretell the future, I would have gone to Wall Street, for example. I cannot foretell the future. The second uh, uh, proof that the Bible defines and offers to uh, prove its inspiration is the public supernatural. Historically, if you trust that you can know what happened in the past, some people would say there is no way at all you can know whether George Washington actually existed. Have you met George Washington? I have not. That means he did not exist. There is no place by the name Iraq. Have you been there? No. Well, unless you were in the military, of course. Then you know what I'm talking about. Any reasonable person knows that history manifests itself. You just cannot hide history. Now, well, okay, when they say victors write the history, well, yes, they can write who the good guys or who the bad guys are, or who's the winner or who's the loser in a certain battle, but they cannot uh, deny or totally alter the course of history. So, historically, before AD 30, there was no such a thing as the Christian faith. By AD 60, the Christian faith was covering the whole Mediterranean world. How in the world could anyone convert that many people within three decades? Jesus has the answer to that. He said in Acts 1.8 to his 12 apostles, But you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and they, or you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem, in Judea and Samaria, and to the end of the earth. Jesus had just outlined the whole book of Acts. Jerusalem, starting with chapter 2 through chapter 7. Judea and Samaria, starting with chapter 8, after Stephen was martyred, Christians left Jerusalem to the neighboring rest of Israel, or Palestine, Judea, and Samaria, and they preached the gospel there. 
to the end of the earth. Do you know where the end of the earth is? It's in Spain. <laughs> the end of the earth back then was believed by the people of old to be the Strait of Gibraltar between Spain and Morocco, between the Mediterranean Sea and the Atlantic Sea because America was not discovered yet. The two mountains on the two sides of the Strait of Gibraltar called the Pillars of Hercules was believed to be the end of the world. They said that it had a Latin scripture that says, ne plus ultra, which means there is nothing beyond. Literally, the apostles spread the gospel all the way to Spain within their lifetimes. How in the world would you go to a pagan Greco-Roman community and tell them to believe in Jesus Christ and obey his gospel to be saved. Oh, yes, says who? Says this zap. And they would do a miracle in public, causing thousands of people to convert. Jesus said, we read that at the end of the gospel of Mark, chapter 16 and verse 20. He said, I'm sorry, this is a, the, the writer of the gospel, says that the apostles went out and preached everywhere, the Lord working with them and confirming the word through the accompanying signs. Paul, the apostle that came later, said in 2 Corinthians 12, 12 to the Judaizers who questioned his authority, his apostleship, his gospel, the Judaizers that are the forefathers of what we know today as Islam, he said, to their recipients, truly the signs of an apostle were accomplished among you with all perseverance in signs and wonders and mighty deeds. Of course, that's why I should have believed that the Saint Paul in that copy of the New Testament in front of my high school in Baghdad was actually inspired because he was a miracle maker. Not only does the Quran not record any miracle done by Muhammad, Muhammad actually said he was not a miracle maker. He said that in chapter 17, starting with verse 90 of the Quran. They said, we shall never believe in you unless you cause a spring to gush forth for us from the earth, or you have a garden of date palms and grapes, then you bring forth rivers from their midst in abundance. This is a poetic way of saying, show us a miracle. They gave him a list of miracles. Arabs are natural poets. They, you would be walking in the desert and you would see a Bedouin that is living in the middle of nowhere and he would break into the Arabian Nights tales and the, 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 the poems of old. Or you cause the sky to fall upon us in pieces, as you claim. Or you bring God and the angels before us face to face, or you have a house made of gold, or you ascend to the sky, and we will not believe in your ascension unless you send down to us a book we may read. Muhammad was told to say, I proclaim the purity of my Lord. I am nothing but human, a messenger. Muhammad actually claims in the Quran that he was not a miracle maker. Question. We are learning now that the prophet and the founder of the second biggest religion in the world was not really inspired as he claimed. Why did he not claim to be a miracle maker? 
Why do we not read any miracle done by Muhammad in the Quran? Exactly, because he did not do them. Because you need to trust the Quran when it says that Muhammad was not a miracle maker. Because the Quran has to stay true to its local and contemporary context. If the Quran says, or if it said that Muhammad did any miracle, somebody would have come up and said, I was there, he did not do any miracle. The only miracle that is recorded in the Quran that supposedly happened to Muhammad, he did not do it, is the miracle that is known as the night journey in which Muhammad claimed to have been taken from his bed in Mecca in Arabia all the way to Jerusalem to the uh, remains of the uh, temple of Jerusalem and then to heaven and then back to his bed and then he woke up and told everybody I had the miracles I had the miracle you did not know because you were sleeping well this is not how miracles work because they need to be in public Paul said Paul appealed to the fact that his recipients knew the miracles and saw the miracles that he did Peter also, when he was introducing Jesus as the Christ in the first sermon in the Christian age, said in Acts 2.22, Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs which God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves also know. That how the Holy Spirit works in public not in secret the miracle may be done by the Bible writer himself like Paul or the other apostles of Jesus Christ or the miracle may be done by somebody else that the writer or that that miracle maker is quoting for example now we know that the book of Matthew is inspired Matthew was an apostle. He did miracles. History says that. What about Luke? We do not have any record in the Bible that Luke made any miracle. And yet, Luke wrote two of the most important books of the New Testament, including the book that tells us what to do to become Christians, the book of Acts. Okay, Luke was not a miracle maker. But listen to what Paul, the inspired apostle of Jesus Christ, said about Luke. This is in 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 18. Paul, the one that we have already established, is an inspired apostle of Jesus Christ. And now we know not only the claim, but also the proof. Paul says... In 1 Timothy 5, verse 18, for the scripture says, and then he says, the laborer is worthy of his wages. Paul had just quoted no one other than Luke, the writer of the gospel. Even though Luke was not a miracle maker himself, he was quoted by a miracle maker, proving to us that he was a miracle maker by proxy and not by self. The third proof that the Bible 
defines and offers to prove its inspiration is a little tricky because Jesus warned us saying that there would be people or false prophets and false Christ who would do miracles to deceive if possible even the elect sometimes people do supernatural things you remember a few decades ago old timers a guy that established the people's temple church he claimed to have been a faith healer I don't know if that was true or was staged hundreds of people followed him literally to their death in in Guyana uh, the Kool-Aid guy they may have had a reason to believe in his message because they said or they thought that he was a miracle maker that he healed the sick people said I'm sorry, Jesus said, simply because someone makes a miracle in front of you, you need to make sure of another point. You, you, you need to check another thing. And that is, is he or she bringing a letter that is in harmony with the rest of the inspired messages? Or is it different than the other inspired messages? The Bible has a story that explains that. The story is in 1 Kings 13. The time was right after the division of Israel into the northern kingdom known as Israel and the southern kingdom known as Judah with Jer uh, Rehoboam as its king. Jeroboam was the northern king. He was a bad guy. Rehoboam was the southern king. He was a good guy. God commissioned a southern prophet to go to the northern kingdom and preach to the king and tell him you have sinned you have introduced the Baal worship a new priesthood system uh, created a new place for people to worship uh, God will punish you in fact he mentions the king that would burn the bones of his priests by name centuries before he was born Josiah and God tells the southern prophet you go to the north you preach to the king, and you go back the same day using another road. Do not spend the night there. Do not eat or drink. Do not go sightseeing. You go there, you talk to the king, and then you return. The prophet goes there. He talks to the king. On his way back, he meets another prophet. The Bible calls him a prophet. A northern local prophet who asks him, where are you going? He said, I'm going home. He said, why don't you spend the night with me? He said, uh, no, thank you. God told me that I should not spend the night here and I should go back home now. He said, oh, it's okay. I'm a prophet too. God told me it's okay for you to spend the night here. And he did the mistake that we all do all the time. He suspected what God told him based on what somebody else told him. And we read that because of that mistake, he was punished when a lion ate him on the way. A prophet may claim, may even show miracles, and yet if the prophet brings a message that is different than, different from the rest of the inspired messages, that prophet is not to be followed. Your Muslim neighbor would say, well, the Quran and the Bible are similar. That innocence is true. Did you know that the Quran teaches that God created the heavens and the earth in six days? 
Did you know that the Quran teaches that God created Adam out of dirt and then Eve out of Adam's rib? The Quran also mentions the story of Cain and Abel, Noah and the flood, Moses and the burning bush, the Exodus, David and Solomon, all these stories. And yet the message of the Quran is totally different than the message of the Bible. Stories are the same. Poor retelling, yes, I know. But they're pretty much the same. But the message is different. The Bible has one message. Jesus says in the Gospel of John, you search the scriptures, for in them you believe you may have life, and they all talk about me. Jesus Christ being the only way to God, our atoning sacrifice, his death on the cross for our sins, our way made possible to heaven by believing and obeying his gospel. That is the message of the Bible. And yet the Quran says it's a sin to say that Jesus is the Son of God. It is a sin to say that Jesus died on the cross. And Jesus is not the way to God. Islam is the way to God. Even if Muhammad made any miracle, which he did not, you cannot follow him because he cannot claim to have been inspired by the same God who inspires the other prophets when he is bringing a different message. Muhammad was not inspired to produce the Quran. What are the Quran's resources? We kind of learned yesterday about the heavy influence of the Judaizers, those Jews who taught that Jesus is the, son of, uh, is, is the Christ, but he's not the son of God, and they came up with their own apocryphal scriptures and all. The Hebrew Bible uh, is... Uh, uh, very influential in the Quran. In fact, Moses is the most mentioned figure in the Quran, 130 times, 135 times, way more than the second most mentioned character in the Quran, Abraham, 62 times. Jewish traditions, we have a Holocaust Museum in Detroit. I went to the Holocaust Museum and there was a sign that said, however, saves a life is as if he saved all mankind. That's a Quran passage. A Quran passage in a Jewish museum. I went closer and it turned out to be from the Jewish Talmud, Sanhedrin 37a. The Bible, I'm sorry, the Quran quotes the Jew Jewish Talmud as inspired. The apocryphal gospels, like the infancy gospel of Thomas, tell stories of Jesus making miracles when he was a child. Some orthodox traditions, including the story of the seven sleepers, seven of the early Christians escaped the Roman persecution, and God caused them to sleep in a cave for three centuries. And when they woke up, they found out that the persecution against Christians had ended. This story is mentioned in the Quran. It is also celebrated by the Eastern Orthodox Church. And of course, the records of Muhammad's contemporary events. Now you can sleep at night. Now you know that this book that you have invested your life and your eternity in is actually from God. And now you need to have a reason, not that, oh, it offends me that you do not believe in my book, the book that, the only book that I know. No, you should know why you follow the Bible. If the Bible has that much evidence in its favor, then why do we have so many people 
claiming that it is not from God. I think the Bible has an answer to that. And that is in Hebrews 3, verse 13. The Bible says in Hebrews 3, 13, But exhort one another daily, while it is called today, lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. The deceitfulness of sin is the main reason why anyone would suspect the authority and the source of the Bible. Because once you realize that the Bible is from God, you need to be accountable to that. You need to change accordingly. Our God is not a Greek God. In the Greek stories, you can eat and drink and have relationships and party and then you go to the temple of Apollo and make a sacrifice and Apollo would love you or Athena or Zeus not our God because our God associates religion with godliness you need to change read your Bible this is one of the not one of the commandments that we teach in the churches of Christ repent uh, hear believe but read the Bible is actually included in every one of them give attention to reading Paul tells Timothy, study your Bible, handle it correctly. Not only do, we, do you need to obey and read the Bible, but you need to, you know that this book was used at one point to preach slavery. And at another point to preach racism and segregation. And anti-Semitism, anti-Muslim today. Do not misuse the Bible. And that's why Paul tells Timothy that he needs to study to show himself a worker that does not need to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. Investigate your Bible, like the Bereans, who are more fair-minded than those in Thessalonica, in that they study the scriptures daily uh, uh, to, to find out whether what Paul was saying was true. Obey your Bible. As James said, be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. Coming up next, my story.